Admittedly, it is quite difficult to get the hang of Thursdays, but many of us endeavor to try. April 14th is the 15th such day of this year, and this is the equivalent edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. Both the Sonic version and its textual counterpart seek to bring you up to date on things you may not yet have known. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. On today's program, a Charlottesville minister has become the Democrats' de facto candidate in the race for the 5th District seat in the U.S. House of Representatives. More documents have been filed in a lawsuit seeking to force a House of Delegates race this year. Trees have come down on Garrett Street to make way for the redevelopment of Friendship Court, and the Nelson County Board of Supervisors are asked to allow a mobile home park in the rural area to help provide more affordable housing opportunities. In today's first subscriber-supported public service announcement, the Rivanna Solid Waste Authority wants you to know about Electronic Waste Collection Day, coming up on April 23, 2022. Residents of both Albemarle County and Charlottesville have the opportunity to drop off old electronics from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Ivy Material Utilization Center. Permissible items include computers, printers, VCRs, stereos, and televisions, and people can dispose of up to 10 items. Only two tube-style monitors or televisions per person. You must register in advance online, where you will be given a time slot. Registration is limited to 110 people per hour. Visit Rivana.org for more information. Only one candidate in Virginia's 5th Congressional District has correctly filed the paperwork required to be on the ballot for the June 21, 2022 statewide primary. That means Democrat Josh Throneberg will face the winner of the May 21st Republican convention in the general election this November. Neither Warren McClellan nor Andy Parker turned in enough signatures to qualify for the ballot, as Throneberg announced on Twitter on Tuesday. Uh, we had just received word a couple of hours ago that I am officially the Democratic nominee for Congress in Virginia's 5th District. Throneberg is an ordained minister and small business owner who lives in Charlottesville. He grew up in a small town in Illinois. The candidate raised $270,154 in 2021, according to data collected by the Virginia Public Access Project. Candidates seeking to be in the June 21st primary had until April 7th to turn in ballots to their party for verification. To get on the primary ballot, a candidate needs 1,000 registered voters in the district to sign a petition. A source in the Virginia Democratic Party confirmed a Washington Post report that Parker turned in 1,093 ballots, but only 937 of them were verified as valid. Democrats in all 11 of Virginia's congressional district chose to hold a primary this year, whereas Republican committees in only seven chose that route. The other four will hold a convention, including the 5th District. The Republican convention will be held in the Kirby Fieldhouse at Hampton Sydney College. Incumbent Bob Good faces Charlottesville attorney Dan Moy. At the end of 2021, Good had raised $518,278, and Moy reported no funds. The next set of campaign reports to the Federal Election Commission are due tomorrow. In his announcement, Throneberg said he believes he can win. Currently have a, a freshman 
incumbent who is deeply out of touch with the people in this district. This will be the first election under the new boundaries of the 5th District, for which Albemarle County is now the northern barrier. The current plan is for the new legislative districts for the Virginia General Assembly to go into effect with next year's state races, but a lawsuit seeking a race this year is still alive in federal court. Richmond attorney Paul Goldman sued the Department of Elections last year, alleging the results of the 2021 House of Delegates race should only be certified for one year because otherwise they would be unconstitutional in his view. In March, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals sent Richmond attorney Paul Goldman's suit back to the Eastern District of Virginia to determine whether he has the standing to bring the case. On March 25th, Goldman submitted a detailed statement that documents his potential candidacy for the 68th House District in 2021, as well as a potential bid for lieutenant governor. Paragraph 22 points out that he now lives within the 78th District without having moved. The old 68th District no longer exists as a legal entity recognized under the Constitution of Virginia, as pointed out by Article 2, Section 6 of the Virginia Constitution. That's paragraph 27. And here's paragraph 28. Accordingly, plaintiff has no representative in the General Assembly that is constitutionally required to represent his interest or has been constitutionally selected to be his said representative. The Virginia Supreme Court finalized new legislative maps on December 28th for both the General Assembly and for the House of Representatives. On April 1st, the Virginia Attorney General's office filed a motion to dismiss the case once again for lack of standing. Goldman has until April 18th to respond, and the defendants have until April 25th to make their reply to that response. Crews removed several decades-old white oak trees on Garrett Street this morning as part of a Piedmont Housing Alliance project to redevelop Friendship Court. The trees were removed as part of the first phase of the development, which got underway with a groundbreaking in January. Phase 1 is being constructed on a former open field. Piedmont Housing CEO Sunshine Mathan said the tree's removal ended up being necessary due to complex topography, including a waterway that travels below the site. In an email to Charlottesville Community Engagement this morning, Mathan said that he was not sure 100% that the trees would need to be removed until a recent meeting with city staff to finalize sidewalk replacement utilities and other issues along Garrett. He said the removal of the trees is an example of a trade-off related to the need for new buildings to be set back from the street. Accommodating the channelized Pollux branch reduced the amount of buildable area. In a quote, he said that the residents and the rest of the design team were balancing building footprints, number of total units, housing typologies, a new community center and early learning center, open green space, and the need for parking and interconnection with future phases all played into the decision. Mathon said the remaining phases should not have similar constraints related to Pollock's branch and that more of the mature tree canopy should be able to be kept. Phase one is expected to be completed by the end of 2023. Mathon also said the wood from the trees will be used to make furniture and other products in the future.
You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out, the Charlottesville Business Innovation Council wants you to know about a unique event coming up on April 19th that aims to provide investment opportunities for regular people. CBIC is teaming up with WeFunder for live equity-based financing for local startups who need capital. Recent changes in regulations allow for such events where people can invest directly in these companies in exchange for early equity. The event will take place April 19th at the Irving Theater in the Code Building. One more segment today, and it goes down to Nelson County. The Board of Supervisors there heard from the public on Tuesday on a proposal to build a mobile home park near the Ridgecrest Baptist Church on US-29 north of Lovingston. Civil engineer Justin Shimp needed a special use permit for the project. He said he was pursuing the project to provide more housing that can be affordable to households with lower incomes. Five years ago, I wouldn't have thought about this. I think it wouldn't have been needed to get the affordability. But such an increase is in cost that achieving housing folks who don't make $100,000 a year is very difficult. Shimp said mobile home parks can be a good way to provide housing at a lower cost. One can buy a new mobile home for as little as $60,000, so you have to pay to set it up. Uh, You can then rent a mobile home pad for around $400 a month, so that opens up a much different sort of price point for folks than the typical what's in the housing stock around here. Shimp said under his arrangement, the people who would live there would buy into it and would own a share of the common areas which they could sell in the future. I think this park investor opportunity will be a way that people who historically haven't been sort of set anchor somewhere will be able to buy in and take ownership of that, and it'll be good for them and good for the community. The Nelson County Planning Commission voted 4-1 to one in March on the proposal, but set 33 conditions for supervisors to consider in their review. Several neighbors of the proposed park spoke at the public hearing. One person wanted to know what Nelson County's standards are for mobile homes and how wastewater would be handled. Here is Larry Shelton. As there will be a study done on the effects of the 51 additional homes for the water source. Another person, Tanya Bradley, was concerned about the entrance off of US-29. So you have to be very careful with any kind of proposals about how you're going to get the trailers in there, how this is going to happen, how this is going to affect the residents that are there. Another person was concerned that allowing 51 units in the rural area was not acceptable under Nelson's comprehensive plan. The debate got heated as South District Supervisor Craig Barton peppered Shemp with questions about the cost of housing. Barton said he was skeptical the trailer park would work. Have you thought about ways to figure out how to get it so people who live in this country can afford to buy a house? What, 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 what could be done as a builder to help you build a house that a person will know will increase in value in his lifetime? Shemp said there was little that the Nelson County Board of Supervisors could do. The conversation broke down as West District Supervisor J. David Parr tried to establish order. 
I'm yeah. sorry to waste your time. I know how valuable it is. conversation, Mr. Martin, is not about this project. It's inappropriate conversation for right now. It's a good conversation for us to wait, have, wait, but wait, not at this wait, moment. The question here this is about the application rezoning, Mr. Martin. He is building these, or he's having these. Um, Trailers come in, which are not going to help people buy houses in the long run because they're not probably going to increase in value. Barton said he did not think it was likely that the trailers would increase in value. Problems of housing are real, and we need to deal with those problems. Whether or not a mobile home will help in solving this problem, I don't know. And I, I think probably not. Shimp said there was ample water on the site and that many of the neighbors would be on the other side of Muddy Creek, which would mean any wells would not affect their groundwater. There were only four supervisors present when it was time to take a vote, as North District Supervisor Tommy Harvey was not in attendance. Here is the thought of Central District Supervisor Ernie Reed. There are aspects of this project that I think are are positive and admirable, but the density is really a concern to me. Parr supported the project, as did East District Supervisor Jesse Rutherford. Rutherford is chair of the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission and sits on the Regional Housing Partnership. More often than not, the struggle always comes down to how to make something affordable. Question always comes down to is where the, where is the appropriate place? I've found that if you put it near an area that's meant for high density, folks usually might not like it. And if you put it somewhere in the middle of nowhere, folks might not like it. And you're going to get that perspective no matter which way you look at it. Rutherford said the only way to attain affordability is through density. He said the comprehensive plan needs to consider this as Nelson considers how to make housing attainable for more people. Given Harvey's absence, supervisors opted to continue the matter to the next meeting. That will give Shimp more time to respond to some of the questions asked. And that's the end of Charlottesville Community Engagement for April 14th, 2022. 41422. That sounds like it would be somebody's combination lock. Uh, thank you very much for uh, listening. And uh, for those folks who are subscribing through Substack, thank you so much for uh, making that contribution. If you've not been able to do so, that's perfectly fine. But do consider sending this on to somebody else so that more people can get more of the information. I'll be back in the near future with another installment of the program. Will it come out tomorrow? Will it come out Saturday? I definitely know that there will be a week ahead newsletter it comes out maybe on Sunday morning. I am hoping to step away from the community for a couple of days and whether or not that means I step away from the microphone is another question. Questions, answers, solutions, all sorts of things are what you've come to expect on Charlottesville Community Engagement. And I thank you so much for listening. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of the program. Stay inquisitive. Goodbye. <laughs>